Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. <sighs> How's your Friday going? Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we hope that you're happy, healthy, and safe wherever you are right now. Uh, it's quite sunny and beautiful, and what a lovely day. I hope that uh, that, that holds up for the rest of the weekend. Uh, so many folks going to celebrate Halloween, usually one of my favorite holidays. I'm, I'm trying to be uh, festive, um, but I'm just not, I'm not as festive as I have in the past. Usually by now I've uh, worn several different costumes because I have an entire rotation of costumes. One. Uh, some of them don't quite fit as much as, as well as they used to. And uh, two, I just, again, I'm not really in the festive mood. I might, maybe on Monday. Maybe I'll feel it on Monday. But we have our, our inflatable black cat up on our bush with uh, some glowing lights so that uh, trick-or-treaters will know that we are a, a friendly house that is handing out trick-or-treat, trigger, uh, trick-or-treating treats. Uh, no tricks. <laughs> I... I, I really have in the past, uh, we used to have an entire schedule of how we, um, it, our different traditions of Halloween. The week, the Sunday before, we always would go to the farmer's markets that had trick-or-treating with the different vendors. And in Edgebrook, they have uh, their Chamber of Commerce has a lovely trick-or-treating with all the businesses there. And uh, then we would go trick-or-treating in our neighborhood the day of Halloween and uh I have some really wonderful memories of going with my boys, including the first time we took, uh, like, usually we had Declan in his wheelchair because he could walk a little bit, but not for long distances. And so we would always say, um, you know, uh, Griffin would go to the door and say, you know, sugar treat. And my brother's in the wheelchair. Can I also have a treat for him? And that's how we did it. And then one year we thought, well, let's, you know, Declan's getting a little stronger. And so I remember the first time, I mean, you know, he just, it was, it's such a wonderful memory for me of Declan is kind of being excited and doing something he'd seen his brother do every year and, and he was strong enough to do the stairs. So uh, uh, really wonderful. And we, we had costume changes for all those different events. We had one costume for the farmer's market. We had one costume for the Edgebrook Chamber of Commerce. We had one costume. Like, I just would collect them because I would buy them, Lady B, the day after Halloween every year. So I would get them like 50 to 80% off. So I would collect all these costumes from superheroes to like knights in shining armor and doctors and police, like all these different costumes. And we have tubs and I've been giving them away over the last few years. You guys have heard me talk about buy nothing. If you are looking for Halloween stuff or other things throughout the year, decorations and household goods and clothes and shoes, find your buy nothing on Facebook for your neighborhood. So like I'm part of the buy nothing uh, Jefferson Park. So we've been giving away a lot of our the boys' costumes because at some point I'm just holding on to them. And uh, I found a picture of uh, Griffin when he played uh, Robin from Batman and Robin and I was back. Well, actually, we would do entire themed uh, costumes. We would be uh, my, Steve would be Batman, uh, Griffin would be Robin, uh, Declan uh, would be uh, maybe a penguin or one of the other characters. I would be Catwoman or Batgirl. And so we always dressed up as a family for Halloween. Sometimes Declan was Batman. We'd rotate through. And then, uh, but so we had these different costumes. And then we had different costumes for each stage of trick-or-treaters. So because younger kids tend to come right after school, so starting at around 3.30, Griffin would wear a tank and tank, Thomas a Tank Engine um, sort of the uh, sandwich board almost costume with a little conductor's hat. And that would be for the little ones. And then he would uh, gradually get, like, you know, he would be uh, a 
knight for the bigger kids, and then maybe like a a vampire. He had a a, a bat uh, costume that he would wear for bigger kids, and I would do the same thing. The thing about my costumes as the night went on was that I would get progressively more uh, uh, scary looking, and to the point where at the end of the night I would have ghoulish, like really. Sc- I, I I got very good at doing the makeup, and uh, you know whether it was a bride ghost or some sort of zombie. And one year, I had to stop one year because uh, it was sort of wet out uh, and there was a kid and I would have like the black light and I would come out of like a fog. I did, I'm very theatrical. I know it's hard to believe. And then one year, uh, as I was emerging from the fog, this teenager, because at some point the teenagers don't even put on the costume, but for me, it's like they're there, they're out having a good time, they just want some candy. So I would do it in reverse. Like I would do the the, trickery, the tricking uh, in reverse and but this one kid was like, saw me coming out of the smoke and start, started stumbling backwards on my stairs. I'm like, okay, let we, I probably have to, they were so scared. They were like, oh, so I decided to, uh, draw down my, uh, the scary element of, uh, Halloween for trick or treaters so no one would get hurt on my stairs. So, uh, the thing I want everyone to be aware of this weekend, obviously in particular on Monday, please be mindful when you are driving that is the biggest threat to kids at halloween is that they're in their costumes they might have not have great peripheral vision they're excited they're running across the street uh just they might be wearing masks uh makeup again there's all this adrenaline they might dart out into traffic so please be mindful and you know what that goes for the whole weekend of People out partying, maybe at the bars, same thing, maybe stumbling out into the street from out between a couple cars. Just be aware uh, and just drive a little extra careful. Always drive uh, carefully, but this weekend, it's the added uh, danger of folks wandering into traffic or being in your way. So be aware of always. We should always, we act as though, and I used to be somebody who's like, cars won, you know, get over it with whether it was uh, uh, cyclists or people like walking in traffic. But you know what? We have to turn back. We have to change our perspective. It should be, we should be encouraging more people walking and riding bikes and taking public transportation. We're seeing that it is unsafe in a city like Chicago to ride in certain neighborhoods or to even be a a pedestrian. So please be aware of uh, pedestrians at all times, obviously. Let me get to the calls. Jim, oh my God, this is, what a crazy story this is, Jim. What do you want to talk about? Well, yeah, I was just going to talk about my Halloween costume. I was going to go out as Trump, but I, had, but I can't find a red tie. But I got a pince, I got a, a pince mask, you know, uh, with a rope. I'm going to put a rope around my neck and go to the party with that. It's strung up. Yikes. Pence. Yep. But, Yikes. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> you, go, you go with like a pitchfork, pitchfork and torches like a January 6th protester. Yeah. Rioter. Halloween in America. Yeah, exactly. Here's a nut that instigated a riot, an absolute riot in the history of America. And the Republicans could get on the news media, and nobody didn't even mention it. Do you think Trump is nuts? Do you think he should have instigated this riot? They they don't even mention it. I I guess the way they're going to treat this Pelosi thing, I don't know how they're going to treat this. But if this doesn't drive voters to the, the remaining voters that are sitting on the fence. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know that that makes enough of a splash for. I don't think. I don't think the Pelosi's husband being attacked by someone wielding a, a, a hammer is going to move. They, they probably they've liked. I mean, so many of them seem to like revel in that because here's what they'll do. Well, you guys didn't say anything when uh, the Supreme Court justices were being threatened and someone was on their way to. You know, that it's all about the what aboutism. Yeah. 
So yeah, but but this is completely different. This is two o'clock in the morning, an eighty-two-year-old man. Here, let me check your house. Yeah, let me let me. You know what? Let me go ahead and check one of the uh, big people that was was you know. uh, Remember, I've talked about Mark Paoletta, who is Ginny Thomas's attorney and wrote the Ukraine memo. Oh my God! My God! So this guy's always like, well, you guys are upset about this. How about the you know? And I'll bet you he's got something stupid to say about this today. Let me take a look um, because. Maybe let's see. Pao, it's P A O letter. <laughs> let's see what he has to say about this attack. Let's see if he, because his whole thing is like, where are the Dems when someone was on their way to to hurt uh, to hurt Kavanaugh? Nope, not a single thing about uh, about about uh, Pelosi's husband, about Nancy Pelosi's husband. Not a word. Nope. <laughs> But but it's time to tamp this now because I could see uh, this could go into political assassination. That's all we need. Right. Is the, That's what they want. Uh, yeah, uh, people bumped off for uh, speaking their mind. Anyway, Patty, have a happy Halloween. I'm going to go out as Pence, I think, with the rope. That's probably a best thing. The rope around my neck. Yikes. And go out and trick or treat. <laughs> yeah, but make sure people know it's, it's Pence. Make sure people know it's Pence and that the rope was put there. I'm just saying. The way people are today, who cares? Anyway, Patty, take care. All right. Bye, Jim. Have a good have a good weekend. Dave, you want to talk about the same thing? Yes? Yeah, about Pelosi's husband a little bit more. That uh, You know, he's the one. He ended up calling the 911 after uh, the guy was distracted and looked away, and like uh, said, he wanted to tie him up and and uh, wait for Nancy to come home. Well, my thought was, and nobody really brought it up, is uh, thank God he didn't have a gun. Yeah, I'm surprised. Wouldn't be talking about surgery. Yep. You're you almost know? surprised that he had, didn't have a gun, you know. And I shouldn't even have yeah. to say that. Yep. No, I'm just you know what is gun loving as they are and. And how them guys were on January 6th, I mean, they had them, but they were stacked, you know, t- stashed away in a safe house, you know, so. Right. And because I believe they were going to go down the the Potomac or whatever, one of the rivers there, and, and you know, in the boat, they were talking about doing. You right. Know, they were waiting, they were waiting for the word. For the signal. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I had mentioned on Jones, so it's kind of funny. They must have been listening because there was a couple things I said that how come, uh, like you said, like the what about is on this? What about Steve Scalise? How come he didn't do nothing and say nothing? And then about oh, 20 minutes later, I hear that he had texted or, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi that this was so wrong and all of this stuff. But up at that point that I told Joan that he hadn't said nothing. And yet Nancy and they had all of the, everybody in the, the chambers and that the Democratic and the, uh, Republicans were behind when he got shot up at that uh, baseball game that time. Yeah, so yeah. No, a little, no change of mind. And second, right. And the second thing I said on there, I mentioned that Joe and I said, what about how quick do you think it'll take Elon Musk to allow uh, Trump back on Twitter? And I just seen now at the, on this um, breaking news here that he was that uh, he's going to let Trump on Twitter, you know? Yep. Well, yeah, that's and that you know what's funny. So to my point about this guy Mark Paoletta, who's Ginny Thomas's attorney and wrote the Ukraine meadow, med, uh, memo, his his uh, tweet today was about, or at least he retweeted. Uh, you know, it's like someone wrote, uh, it's like the gates of hell open on the site tonight, and uh, and folks are, you know, Mark Paoletta's like, yeah, this is the kind of thing that you would expect from uh, from liberals and kind of stuff like that. And he retweeted Elon Musk. The br- the bird is freed. They're they're very excited. They're chomping at the bit for this. Oh, I bet they are. I bet they are. Uh, getting back to when the the police finally came in, 
you know, after the the nine eleven call, whatever, as they call wellness checks, you know, the, I imagine they would have had. Should they not have had a uh, body cam? What is going on here? For, I'm sorry, which one? These police when they came back to you know this Paul Pelosi. Oh, Shouldn't they have had a body cam, maybe. Oh, I would imagine that. You know, it's funny. I don't know too much. I just, I heard the story this morning, and then I've been working, and I haven't had a chance to look too closely. But uh, is it what in in the? You mean in regards to what the scene looked like, so that uh, we have some. No, no, when they came in, because I know. had to take him down, because I guess uh, you know they tackled the guy, you know, because uh, my understanding is anyway that Pelosi and this guy they were you know grappling there, and and that Pelosi he got hit in the head several times. They said with that hammer, so. Yep. It's insane. It's well, absolutely insane. Out of here. Yep. Uh, thanks, Dave. Have a great weekend. Have a good weekend. Be well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, from the 541, uh, these radicalized extremists didn't just show up on January 6, 2021. That's total nonsense. I agree. The real the rise of violent extremism began under Donald Trump way back in 2016. I was really nervous the night of the election in uh, 2016 because I thought that if he didn't win, people were going to be in the street saying that this, the, the election was stolen, which it was just that that madness was delayed four years. So I agree with you. Uh, that was over six years ago. And since then, death threats, violent attacks in um, I'm not shooting by the far right has been escalating. Violent attacks, uh, I'm not sure if I I think that was probably a voice attack. I do this all the time. Uh, and you know the worst part about it is that this Republican Party embraces violence. I agree with that. It's time to wipe from our texture. It's time to wipe the Republican Party off the political nap, map before they destroy America. And we have to get folks motivated. We have to be motivated to vote. If we vote, we win. And I loved what our friend yesterday said about the, uh, the what, how, what the polling shows, that we are in the margin of effort. If we get this done, if we reach out to people, if we connect with them, tell the story of how much has been improved under the leadership of Democrats, including President Biden, that we have increased uh, wages for employees that we have been able to, in the face of rising gas prices, found solutions to drive gas prices down, that we have invested money into infrastructure so people can work and so that our roads are safer, our bridges are safer, that we have found a way to push back against pharmaceutical companies in order to put a cap on prices for things like insulin, that we have made sure that people have access to vaccinations so that we can suppress the outbreaks of COVID so that people's symptoms aren't as severe as they were at the beginning of the pandemic. There's so many things that we could talk about um, that Democrats have successfully done. Text me what your favorite thing is that the Democrats have been successful at. And what have Republicans accomplished? Drawing back women's access to health care that can be life-saving. They've taken away many women's ability to choose for themselves. They are threatening to take away Social Security and Medicare. They don't they want to diminish your access to health care. All for the the nonsense and lies of uh you know that kids should not be taught history and should not be taught empathy toward people who maybe don't live the way you think they should and yet live to love the people they want to. Let's take a break here. We'll come back in just a moment on WCPT. We're driving it home. I'm your host Patty Vasquez brought to you you buy Manaqua Brewing on the Heartland Signal. The Hal Sparks Radio Program. This is the week that Steve Bannon perp walked. Do you have a round of applause? Uh, I do. I do. I'll call them up. It'll take. That's not it. No, that's the sound of people seeing the spot on his forehead when he walks into the chair. That's not it either. 
That's the wrong one. Uh-huh. That's the owning the libs meeting call. <laughs> he wore cool. Yeah, yeah, he did, didn't he? He was wearing makeup. Hal Sparks, Saturdays from 11 to 1 on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I want to remind folks, I have so many shows this weekend. There's so much to do. I would love for you to come out and have a great laugh. Oh, man, you guys, the shows this week so far have been tremendous with KB Marion and Tim Walco. We are performing this weekend. Tonight we will be at the Bourbon and Brass Room in Des Plaines. Yeah, it's I love that room so much. It's you guys just to come out and see the room and then enjoy some great comedy from me and my friends. Uh, it's a show that I host. I'll be doing this every month for as long as Ron Onesti will let me. And thank you, Ron Onesti and the entire crew at Bourbon and Brass and the Arcata Speakeasy. Last night's show was amazing. And uh, looking forward to tonight. The show is at 930 tonight at Bourbon and Brass in Des Plaines, which is right there at the Des Plaines Theater because he now has that venue. And then tomorrow night at 8. 30. Uh, my friends will be at the Arcata Speakeasy. I will be in Bolingbrook. I probably should know it. I'm, I'm doing, see, I did, I'm doing too many shows. It's a lot of shows. So I'll be in Bolingbrook at their country club doing, uh, uh, headlining that show. Jimmy McHugh, Tim Walco, and Katie Marion will be at the Arcata tomorrow night. And then Sunday night, can I give away more tickets, Lady B? Do you mind if I make, you, make people call in? Do you mind? Thank you. Uh, let's give away some free tickets for the Laugh Factory this Sunday night at 7 o'clock. It is a full lineup of great comics, including Jimmy McHugh, Dr. Bill Miller, Kristen Toomey, KB Marion, Tim Walco, and Larry Bloom. That's a lot of comics. And so I will be hosting that show as well. It's in, uh, it's in the Boys Town neighborhood over there on Broadway and Belmont. And again, that show is at 7 o'clock. So let's give away tickets. A pair of tickets is the callers number 2, 3, and 4. I got six pairs of tickets to give away. So give us a call, and uh, we will put your name at the door. Just let Lady B know your name, and uh, we will make sure that your name is at the door. And just come on in and have a wonderful evening of comedy. So that is happening all weekend. Coming up in just a few moments, we are going to check in with our good friend. Um, I haven't had him on this show yet. It's hard to get him because he's got a very busy schedule. I had him on when I was working, uh, filling in for Edwin Eisendrath, and it's uh, Professor Henry Kamerling will join us in a few minutes to talk about Halloween movies in particular we're gonna i know i've I've mentioned this this week i have um, been watching a lot of zombie movies and uh i have i I never ever uh liked zombie movies i thought the double tap was fun and so i i uh, enjoyed that with woody harrelson uh it was it was enjoyable and i just never I, i never i never got into it and i and i sat down and i watched night of the living dead and what struck me was the relationships between the people who were trying to survive and sometimes 
times it's not just about man against monster. It's man against man in the face of monsters attacking. And it reminded me a little bit about what we go through when people decide that their own survival, that their own needs are more important than the survival of the group. So uh, that's one of the things I want to talk to. Uh, Professor Henry Cameling will join us in just a few moments after our traffic break. And uh, again, the number is 773-763-9278 for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the Laugh Factory this Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Again, over by there on uh, Broadway near Belmont. It's a, a wonderful show. And tonight I'll be in displays at the Bourbon and Brass. Tomorrow night I'm in Bolingbrook. But the other Patty Vasquez and show, Patty Vasquez and friends without me, uh, will be at the Arcata Speakeasy. If you're up in the neighborhood, Tim Walco and KB Marion and Jimmy McHugh are incredible comics. And I think you will really have a great time. Uh, I also want to, uh, oh, we're going to talk next week with some of the, uh, one of the Green Party candidates who is running for MWRD. We mentioned this earlier in the week. Um, you know, the, there are, the MWRD, we, we've talked to Marion Sparopoulos about her role as a commissioner. And uh, I want you to be aware of who you vote for. You know, be, I know folks have messaged already about how hard it is to get through all the judicial candidates. MWRD is sometimes, uh, you know, people who have a lot of power try to put their friends in place. And I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying be mindful of some of the names that you see. Do a little bit of research. Find out what their experience is uh, and maybe get a feel for where they're coming from and why they want this role. Uh, and we'll talk to the Green Party candidate next week to find out why she wants to run. That's Tennille Jackson, I believe, is her name. Let me double check that before I go throwing out names. Uh, that is Tennille Jackson, uh, who is the Green Party candidate uh, for the MWRD role for commissioner. And so uh, I know folks are talking a lot about how do we get through all of these judicial candidates, the retention, there's 60 judges seeking retention and get through it all. Just, you know, I mean, do your research, uh, find out who, if there are any red flags, you can, you can Google a few of the names and see if, uh, or go through. I, I know Injustice Watch does a comprehensive job of flagging people who perhaps you do not want to vote for or retain. So go to Injustice Watch and find out what their recommendations are. And do not forget, especially those of you who live in the Supreme Court districts of the second and third districts, uh, remember, uh, we're we're looking for the names Mary K. O'Brien and Elizabeth Rochford are the candidates that will fight to protect the rights and freedoms of all Illinoisans. So please be aware. Uh, the, show, the show tickets are for the Laugh Factory this Sunday night, and uh, that's for 7 o'clock. Uh, for the other shows, those are all uh, at Onesti.com. You can go to their website to find out about those. We kind of changed the, the show times around a little bit in order to accommodate folks going to the uh, the see like some of the cover bands and the great rock and roll uh, musicians that they have playing this weekend. I should probably I need to start having Ron Onesti on. This was Jerry's idea was to have him on, uh, you know, a couple times a month to let you know what great events he has at these venues. You guys, it's such beautiful venues. Both of them, they are such beautiful spots to go enjoy music, uh, enjoy cocktail and meals. And then, of course, their big theaters are just incredible. So uh, check out Onesti's, Onesti Entertainment and find out about all the performers coming up, including Patty Vasquez and friends every single month. Let's take a break here and we'll come back with Henry Camerling, Professor Henry Camerling, to talk about zombie movies and Halloween movies. Uh, you know, are you going to, are you just going to hunker down and watch some scary movies for Halloween? I know I am. I'm rewatching uh, Haunting of Hill House. I just have it on the background. I loved that series uh, from a few years ago. More after this on Driving It Home with me, Patty Vasquez, sponsored by Manaqua Brewing on the Heartland Signal. 
Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. Weeknights from 5 to 6 p.m. on WCPT 820. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Every uh, Halloween season, my husband and I and uh, my boys, uh, we hunker down for some uh, scary movies. And one genre of movies that I've uh, I've kind of avoided have been uh, zombie movies. And I have, in the last few weeks, just completely immersed myself, Professor Henry Kamerling. Uh, Professor Henry Kamerling joins us from Seattle University. Uh, he's a historian of prisoners, monsters, and superheroes. Uh, hey, Henry, how are you doing today? Hey, Patty. It's good to be here. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I, I never liked, I, I don't know if we ever, I don't think, we, it wouldn't have come up in conversation when we were younger that, <laughs> that I didn't like zombie movies. Uh, I never watched any of The Walking Dead because I was just like, ah, these slow slogging monsters, why don't you just run away kind of thing. And then I watched The Night of the Living Dead. I liked Double Tap. I thought that was funny. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't like having uh, Bill Murray, um, yes, getting or someone getting Bill Murrayed. Uh so I enjoyed those, but The Night of the Living Dead, I, I really enjoyed it, whether it was the filmmaking and, and, of course, the ending surprised me and drew me in to watch more of them. So so tell me a little bit about the work that you've done. I know you've written several articles about um, the intersection between and the relationships between monsters and zombies and superheroes, uh, including our... Now, how, how are zombies superheroes, Henry? <laughs> how are they superheroes? <laughs> You're putting the cart before the horse, right? Um <laughs> You know, I I have um, I'm really interested in uh, as a historian locating the uh, politics of our collective imagination. And so you can take any kind of cultural form, zombies, for example, and you can you can ask yourself like how do how does this particular imaginative form, zombies or vampires or any monstrous form, sort of I don't know reflect the uh, culture and politics of the time period. And, and um, so that's really what I'm, what I'm particularly animated about. And you can look at a document and a film or a book or a comic book, and you can, you can read it like you would any document, just like you would the Declaration of Independence and plummet for meaning and locating it in a time period. And I do think there's a way in which our monsters and superheroes are really closely aligned with each other. The, the boundary separating monsters and superheroes is, is terribly thin. So... It, well, yeah, that's so. It's also what I noticed, and in particular, not just the ending of uh, the Night of the Living Dead, but also the way the ways in which people either work together or don't work together, work against each other for their own survival. The yeah. the ways in which selfishness emerges, uh, you know. And, and for me, like part of me sort of started thinking about it politically too, in in the sort of virus that has taken a hold of rabid conservatives. We see this guy that went after uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, husband this morning. Yeah. And you think of the people like that, that get, something takes a hold of their mind and makes them completely de- deta- detached from reality uh, and how people confront that. And I like, oh, the, by the way, the train to Busan was amazing. Thank you for that recommendation as well. Unbelievable. And, and that's <laughs> but that's the that's what I watch is like it's not just man versus monster. It's man versus man in the face of monster is kind of what I saw. Yeah, I think that's fabulous, and you're, you've you've caught a lot of really wonderful things there. So, you know, the the horror operates, and many stories operate on the level of metaphor. And so, you have the virus as a metaphor, and then you have to ask yourself, what is it a metaphor for? 
Like, what is if you have a virus that's infecting people? Is you know, we live in a we live in an age of viruses. We've just gone through this. Not gone through. We're not like we're done with it. We're not done with it. The global pandemic that is the coronavirus, right? And it could be that the zombie virus is a metaphor for a very real virus, AIDS or Ebola or the coronavirus or something like that. But it could be that the virus is a metaphor for some other social ill. Like, I think, in the context of Night of the Living Dead, maybe racism and white supremacy or the ongoing civil rights movement, something like that. Right. Where people just sort of are going with where everybody else is going uh, and, and just sort yeah. of there's a way of, of following the crowd. Let me start with one that wasn't on your list only because it seemed yeah. more aspirational and, and not just because Brad Pitt was in it. Um, <laughs> but but World War Z, like there, there's more of people trying to work together. There's a little more not necessarily kumbaya, but there seemed to be less of like throwing someone at a zombie in order to save themselves uh, uh, in that movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. You take a film like like a lot of zombie movies, there's this really wonderful tension. The zombies themselves may or may not be bad. Like, there are plenty of zombie movies where the zombie might be the protagonist of the film, like in Warm Bodies. But in any event, if the zombies are bad and you're left with a small group of people, what I, would, what I often call the left-behind gang, it matters very much how that left-behind gang is organized. Like, who's in charge? Are are our soldiers in charge, our police officers are in charge. If it's if it's World War Z, our scientists in charge, our agents of the government in charge. And do people work together, or does it turn out that the Left Behind Gang is full of people who are as bad or worse than the zombies themselves? So there is an imagination of our of our social and political world in the Left Behind Gang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 28 Days Later was, uh, <laughs> that yeah. was a that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah so, some movies get too gory to handle. I mean, it depends. Some of it depends on where you are in the context of, of gore and and really kind of visceral violence. Um, and some people just can't handle it. And fair enough. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Right. Which, and I love the list. You gave us uh, some other choices as well to uh, consider uh, outside of the realm of zombies. But I just want to let people know that some of the movies that Henry sent me to, to consider were Girl with All the Gifts, which Glenn Close, I mean... Come on. So good. Uh, I did. I really enjoyed that. And so and a couple of these. And then there's a train to Busan, which I, I also loved. 20 days later, eight days yeah. later, I loved. We had seen Shaun of the Dead, which obviously a very funny movie. Um, so with those, uh, you know, Steve and I differ on our opinions on some of them. We did argue uh, not with each other, but that when Killian Murphy awakes in the hospital, there, it should have been much messier in there as far as like, <laughs> like, like he's perfectly naked without any. I'm just saying he would have had to relieve himself at some point. Like, <laughs> there are just some things that were a little too convenient as far as that goes. But I right. thought they built the tension very well, obviously. Sure. And, and to your point, there are in these movies like some ways in which they try. I, I had ne- I didn't realize there were ones where they tried to find a cure. Um, yeah. And that was interesting to me as well. I just always figure. And, and so can you tell, tell me a little bit, because Steve was trying to explain this to me. They're like, not all zombie movies are about the unliving, like the, like someone has died and then they've come back to, to life. Like I always imagine it as like, I don't know, someone like crawls or like scratches their way out of a grave, but that's sort of evolved over the years, haven't they? Sure. There's a whole history. You know, you can go back. I mean, zombies are a, a cultural and religious character that come just through Haitian voodoo. And, and Haitian voodoo is a, is a 
you know, full on religious religion that has its own sort of world and rules and rituals. And that takes us back to the period of colonialism or into the, you know, 1400s and 1500s in that regard. And over the course of time, that has changed. And so your voodoo zombies are really quite different than our modern zombies. And Romero and so the sort of claw yourself out of the grave zombie that's a voodoo zombie that goes back that that's an earlier manifestation and um romero in, in night of the living dead in 1968 kind of invents the modern zombie uh, who becomes a zombie for a completely different set of reasons a virus an infection the sort of bite that spreads to other zombies that's a much more modern or contemporary vision uh of what a, of what a zombie is and so you get these and then you have a whole kind of conversation are there fast zombies are they slow and shambling you know um and uh, there's a sort of whole wonderful world in there. Yes. I mean, uh, the idea that it's because scientists are m- messing around with uh, with chimpanzees and uh, rage over like basically triggering. I mean, so that answers like the, the ways in which those uh, and they and it happens so fast, Henry. It was overwhelming. Sometimes I can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, here's a question for you. Here's yes. an interesting question for you. Like in, in that movie or in a whole series of zombie movies, one of the things you have to ask yourself in terms of unpacking like the political metaphor at the heart of these movies is, is science good or is science bad? Right. Is science a problem that needs to be solved? Or, you know, is it, or is the solution an escape both from science and from the modern world? So in, in 28 Days Later, I'm going to give you lots of spoiler spoilers in case you haven't seen the movie, but like the solution to that problem in some ways resides in, in, in fleeing the city. And the city is a, a, a metaphor for the modern world and modern society and how we're all knit together. We all kind of come together, all different kinds of people, right? Immigrants and different racial and ethnic groups and different kinds of people, different sexual orientations. And the city is a, is a metaphor for uh, the modern world in all its glory. But if the solution to the problem of the zombie apocalypse is to take your little left-behind gang and flee the city into the countryside, that's a metaphor for retreating into the past. Right. You know? Yeah, escaping the modern world, and if science, and, and like we write, we have party, we have political conversation today about like, should we trust experts? Should we trust scientists? Should we listen to them to organize our world? And I feel like our politics comes down on different sides of that issue, depending on which side of the political spectrum we're on. Well, and the same is true of, of the military. Uh, you know, are they there to protect us, or is are the people who are drawn to serve in the military or drafted, or, or does the military teach them to uh, sort of organize in a way that might not be the most beneficial to the people who they're protecting? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, this is why it matters if the left-behind gang is run by, like, a soldier or run by a scientist or run by, like, an everyday person that is neither a soldier or scientist. And all that military tech is, a, is, is a, it comes to us from science. Like science is a thing that creates the really cool military tech we have. And if that military technology is impotent in the face of the zombie apocalypse, that's a conservative political worldview. Yeah, it, it was. I've I've had a lot of fun watching these movies, uh, and we did watch Hereditary, by the way. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> just I don't even know how to explain. Honestly, I don't really even yeah. know how to explain that movie at all. Yeah, you and me both. That's but yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> I I did. Well, look, I love Tony Collette. What's and, and I yeah. love uh, Gabriel Byrne. I mean, so oh, poor Gabriel. Um, <laughs> we also just watched last night Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original. Yeah, which. Uh, yeah. Once I got past how beautiful, look at Lady B's shaking her head. You didn't like that one? 
Any of them? <laughs> well, and that goes to, I think, uh, you know, why do some people love horror movies or certain like what, what you know, what, what makes our skin crawl? You know, for me, I've always loved ghost stories. So I love right. the series Haunting of Hill House. I just I love the music. Oh, I love the actors. I, yeah. Yeah. I just read the book. Uh-huh. Haunting of Hill That's from a Shirley Jackson book in the 1950s. Um, but I have not seen the Netflix vision yet. The next Netflix series yet. So that's on my to watch list. Oh, I, I just uh, I really enjoy yeah. it, the performance, and I, and it, it uses Shirley Jackson as uh, her story as a, a jumping play, a jump off, jumping off place, and, yeah. and definitely blows up the whole thing. But uh, there's one of the actresses; uh, her character's name is Theo, and they they describe her as a fist yeah. with hair, and <laughs> I've never identified with the description so <laughs> closely. <laughs> I can see that fitting you. That sounds good. <laughs> Um, so I have I have enjoyed some of the uh, the, the yeah. I, bet I search for things and so I've always I've loved right. ghosts I've I used to play with a Ouija board when I was a kid yeah um, all that stuff but what what draws us to not just at the Halloween time and I mean these are you know horror movies are uh, just a, it's a massive genre that keeps coming back as you mentioned in different incarnations. Yeah, you know, I mean, so this is a question that scholars that work in this field have pondered. And, you know, my scholars, you, you know, psychologists have answers to these questions and historians and sociologists. And, you know, one of, the, one of an, an interesting sociological observation would, would be that, you know, all societies throughout all time have monsters. Right. We all tell ourselves scary stories and it doesn't matter whether we're like in ancient East Asia or whether we're among our Aztec friends or whether we're in modern United States. Like we all all peoples are drawn to scary stories. And so, and I would, I would also argue that all societies also have crime and criminals and all societies also have forms of superheroes. And so there's a way in which all these characters are related in what they do for us. And they helped reflect our cultural fears and anxieties back to us sometimes in part so that, you know, or at least some argue that we can encounter our fears and then conquer them. At least that's one way in which a certain set of arguments work out. Um, and and we need to imagine the things that are terrifying to us so that we can confront them, so that we can kind of repress them, um, either as a society or as individuals. I, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, I just I, I think that there's that adrenaline rush that gives you a jolt. And then you kind of like ah, there's a, I mean, I we were watching uh, the, the Haunting of Bly Manor is a little bit slower than the Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. But even yeah. to, I, it had a good uh, jump scare. Uh, but the jump scares, I really love the jump scare. There's a couple of great jump scares in uh, Haunting of Hill House. And that's the other thing, yeah. too. Like we just like that adrenaline rush. It's, it comes down to it. And we well, like some of us do. There are some people that avoid it, like, yes. you know, at all costs. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. Let's let's talk a little bit about how about Halloween. You know, for some people, like Steve has always um, tried to uh, manage my enjoyment of doing the scary stuff. Like I was just telling the story earlier. Uh, our tradition was that uh, you know earlier in the evening we would have like stuff that was kid friendly for trick or treaters, and as the night progressed, I would get scarier and scarier to the point where we had like a black light, and I emerged out of this fog, you know, as a as a ghost bride, uh, but with like really gory. And one night, a kid almost fell backwards off my stairs and I was like okay maybe I should tone it down a little (laughs) (laughs) that would have been my son right terrified of of scary things like Halloween and people dressed up in scary masks yeah which is why some people really do love leaning into the fantasy too that's a big part of Mm -hmm. Halloween is you know the as in Buffy the Vampire Slayer come as you aren't (laughs) yeah (laughs) right which is by the way I don't know if you were you a fan of Buffy's yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. so everyone getting I'm I'm disappointed in the whole Joss Whedon thing but yeah yeah. Well, the the episode where they're all trapped as their characters is a great episode. 
Yeah. It's, Fabulous. And that's and that's the make believe too. You know, whether I mean seeing a, a girl, you know, dressed as a, as an astronaut is as much fun as seeing, you know, a witch, a, a beautiful pagan witch. Yeah. Well, it's true though that all these genres, right? Like so I would argue Buffy's a superhero. Right. Right. Oh, right. She, she you know, Buffy sort of exists in that in that really liminal space, that in between space between superheroes and monsters. And, you know, her world is full of monsters and she's fighting and she's a monster hunter. But she's, a, uh, not a, you know, a really tough per- she's a person. I was going to use a more salty word there. You can say tough bitch. I don't know what you're going to say, but. That's... <laughs> so well, it's just a tough ass, right? She's tough just ass really a badass, right? Yes, that's and fine. So she just is. She's just uh, and and. And she has a constellation of, of characteristics that we would call superpowers, right? I mean, like, and so she is um, also has a pro-social mission. Like, her job is to make the world a better place. I mean, she seems to clearly inhabit the superhero genre, even though she's existing in this really kind of dark world. And most superheroes fight characters who you don't have to think too hard of to think, like, yeah, that's, that's a monster. Well, the Hulk's a monster. Right. Right? The Hulk's right. like a full-on monster. You know, well, and that's the thing, too, is, that you know, I think one of the reasons that kept me from watching the uh, zombie movies and why I liked Double Tap and Shaun of the Dead is I do need my I do need some levity. I I do lean towards at least some mirth. Right. And Buffy obviously packed with uh, with a lot of funny lines and characters and bored now. But um, (laughs) I don't know if you remember that from Willow. It might be in a really interesting way that one of the things one of the demarcations, one of the boundaries between superheroes and horror is tone. Yes. In that superheroes are buoyant, right? I mean, unless you're in the DC grimdark universe or whatever, but like superheroes traditionally are upbeat and uplifting in, even if they have a bunch of other, even if, even if Buffy's running around fighting monsters, she's doing it in this winsome way that is uh, really engaging and, and full of, you know, levity. Right. Exactly. And horror mo- and horror movies are oppressive. Like they make you feel dread. Yes. And that feeling of dread is can be both, you know, wonderful to experience, but it's also at the same time terrifying. I'm getting better at it, I think. Fifty one years <laughs> at late fifty one years in and I'm getting my dad loved scary movies. My dad would, would Oh, did he really Oh, he would he would uh sneak into the well, me and my friends, if we were watching a scary movie, he he would get behind the couch and be like <laughs> <laughs> he would, well, what's his favorite movie? What did he? What kind of scary movies did he like? Well, you know, we the Changeling. I think I, I, Steve and I watched yeah. that when we first started dating, and I feel like I saw. Yeah. So I, I think you and I might have talked about this. My parents took me to see movies uh, far sooner than I should have. <laughs> uh, like I just saw The Shining for the first time since I was little. The fact that I'm saying I saw it when I was little means that I saw it way right. too early in life. Yeah, yeah. But I saw it on the big screen, uh, and I didn't realize how much uh, Jack Nicholson really was chewing up the scenery. Right. When I was right. a kid. But yeah, he liked some That's of those so movies, uh, but he really loved like the Lon Chaney's and the, uh, you know, yeah. I, it was Lon Chaney and remind me of the other guy. Uh, oh, does he? Yeah. But, yeah. The, he loved yeah. those movies and the original Frankenstein yeah. he loved. Yeah. I love those movies, too. They're great. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up on those. And, uh, and and look, I think Get Out is such a good movie um, that you had on this list as well. And, and Us. I think we haven't seen Nope yeah. either. But Steve and I were talking about this, asking, like, what's scarier? And I mean, I think it depends. Like you said, it depends on what speaks to you and what scares you, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, everybody, you know, one of the things that, that 
scholars sometimes get into fights about that I think is really interesting. I'm, I'm very animated in trying to locate a film's politics, right? This very specific left-right politics. Like, can we place it on the political spectrum? And that might shift depending on what time period we're talking about. Like, Night of the Living Dead is 1968. Uh, Romero's a, a noted lefty. I mean, those films are all very leftist. Um, but, but we're not all afraid of the same things at the same moment in time. And so you can have movies that have a, a politically conservative expression or a politically liberal expression at the same time period. We're not universally scared of the same things. And so that changes both for our politics, but it also changes for us individually, personally. I'm excited to watch some more horror movies. I know uh, Griffin's coming back this weekend to uh, watch some stuff okay. with us. And, and Steve messaged me because uh, we, like I said, we watched the uh, Body Snatchers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Steve wrote, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is like a zombie movie in the fear of science and the modern world and the breakdown of social order, but ultimately society outside the town restores order. Although we don't know that. We just know that he gets to uh, he gets to a city and they start to believe him because a truck, well, I shouldn't, I'm Spoilers, see? Spoilers. <laughs> we don't know how it turns. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that sometimes a movie ends with the whole world is going to end sort of feeling, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the apocalypse, uh, you know, the, the apocalypse is a, you know, it's a prophetic vision of the future. And I think a lot of the zombie apocalypse movies are, you know, zombie movies are always set sort of in the near future. You know, it's, right. we're just on the cusp. It's a lot like our society, but like, you know, a year or two or five in advance. And one of the interesting things about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, or at least the, the, the 1956 or 57 version, is the original ending of that movie had uh, Miles running out into the street yelling, you're next. And then it ended there. Yeah. That's and what... the studio was like, you can't do that. That's <laughs> too terrifying. And they made the the very last scene where the where the police or the FBI or the federal government comes to the rescue. Yeah. So that movie ends with a different, the studio and, you know, the studio insisted on a different ending because they were too upset by the original ending. I did have the feeling that they wanted to make the movie scarier. There's some elements that didn't make sense, like the guy disappearing in that bag on the table, but that's a discussion you, for another. You can't think too carefully about these. <laughs> one of the things about some of these movies, if you really, like if you have an analytical brain the way you do, and if you begin to think too carefully about these things, <laughs> it can fall apart really quickly. Yeah. You know, I would argue that Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 57 version, is a zombie movie, that they're zombies. But I'm not a purist, and some people get really, you know, sort of, you know, some people would say 28 Days Later that, that that's not a zombie film because no one dies and comes back to life. They just get infected. Right. So, yes. You know, that... I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a purist about those things. But no, yeah. no, me neither. Again, we've been talking to <laughs> Professor Henry Campbelling from Seattle University. Follow him on Twitter. I uh, would love to have another conversation with you sometime. Oh, before we go, what, so Midnight, wait, what's the werewolf one that uh, Steve wants to see, too? There's a DC, con wait. Is it uh, Werewolf by Night? Werewolf by Night. Tell us a little bit about that one because I'm not familiar. I mean, I, I, have the, I haven't actually seen the, the um, Disney version. There's a new uh, short uh, 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 series out, Werewolf by Night, and I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's on my to do list. Okay. Maybe I'll do it this weekend. Okay. But there's a comic book from the 1970s. Um, Moon Knight is a comic from the 1970s. Werewolf by Night is a comic from the 1970s. Morbius is a comic from the 1970s. So uh, Marvel Entertainment and Disney Plus are mining the 1970s for all their sort of monstrous heroes and remaking them for and updating them for a contemporary audience. Well, we should have another conversation about this then, because I want to know why the 70s are so prominent right now. I know that my clothes yeah. from the 80s and 90s are back. <laughs> I'm fascinated. <laughs> so yeah. Everything old is new again. Yeah, I just, hey, I don't want, we're not old. 
It's not us. No, no I, didn't, I didn't say that. I, I don't know. know why I said that. <laughs> Just teasing. Henry, thank you so much for taking the time to, check, to, to touch base with us and tell us your wonderful, share your wonderful insight into uh, the zombie horror movie genre and, uh, and have this conversation. And we'd love to have you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Happy Halloween, Henry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Let's take a break here and we'll wrap up with a call from Brad who has a question about where to find out for your, about your list of judges. Uh, I'll tell you right now, go to injusticewatch.com. Uh, but I'll talk to Brad when we come back in just a moment on WCPT 820. We are driving it home. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk where facts matter. As we head out of here, I did not want to leave Brad hanging on so long. Brad's calling from Arlington Heights. Hey, Brad, what's on your mind? Well, I'm having trouble finding the Justice Watch. By the way, I used to call your show all the time on that horrible other uh, <laughs> station. I used to win, though. Remember when you did the read the movie scripts? And, oh, uh, yeah. What's that from? I, I've told Roger Badish that we should bring that back here. So, I, you know what? I will yeah, talk to Roger. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be fantastic. We could do that. On, uh, you know, they, screwed me, they screwed me out of the last time that I won for my app. Thing. Oh no! Well, let me see if I can if I can make yeah. that up to you somehow. Okay. I know I don't care. It's just I just had to complain about something. But I but I'm I cannot find when I do justice yeah, watch in various forms. I probably you know, it comes up as a I, judicial watch. I, I probably which is horrible. I probably talk too fast, as we know. It's my habit. Injustice. Injustice watch. Like bad justice. Uh, Injusticewatch.com. I think I did see that one, so I'll go there. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I've been looking, you know, seeing who to. Because I want to make sure. Well, obviously, I'm going to vote for the Democrats in the yep. in the in the Supreme Court thing. But I'll tell you, man, this whole thing the the Republicans have turned in the SA, which was the brown shirts of uh, it's crazy that helped Hitler gain power. Yeah, it's just yep. it's just stunning the way we are rushing headlong into fascism. And it's crazy. I'm really, just scared to death. Well, I mean, Brad- these people are. Com- Brad, hold on one second. Let I me know. let me let me talk to you off the air because I got I got to turn this show over to Mike Crute and yeah, okay, great. Uh, yeah, That'd be great. Yeah, one second. Uh, Mike Crute's up next with the Devil's Advocates. Uh, sorry, Lady B. I love you. Have a great weekend. Bye, everybody. I'm sorry. Whiskey and a cookie in 30 minutes on Patty Vasquez Show page. Bye.